0: All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Popswell, and your other host is Lisa Flicker. Hey, Lisa.
1: Hey, Chris. Good to see you today.
0: Good to see you today. Uh, you got any plans for the weekend?
1: Yes. My niece is graduating from Brandeis, so we oh, are wow. all driving up to cheer her on.
0: Very cool. How far? Where is Brandeis? Is that Massachusetts?
1: Massachusetts. So a couple hours, not so far.
0: All right. Well, how about you?
1: Good, Are
0: you some good plans. Uh, oh, amazing. We have a uh, a big pool party. My pool club, where I swim and play tennis and stuff, has a big uh, pool party tomorrow. So there's going to be like a bunch of stuff, bouncy houses in the water, and it's going to be crazy. And so that's going to be fun. I am visiting. If my a friend of mine who's in a nursing home, he's an older guy. Going to go visit him tomorrow, and.
1: I'm I'm also planning
0: a trip to go to Yellowstone National Park. So I'm pretty excited about that. I've never been there.
1: Amazing.
0: Um, So today we spoke to our friend, John Tofsinoglu. He is originally from, he's originally from Turkey. He's an American citizen. He he got his uh, master's in science from Columbia in real estate. I've known John for many years. He's worked for some very, very prominent family offices in New York. Uh, on the real estate side, and recently launched his own firm called Caldera Real Estate Ventures, where he partners with family offices and acts as a CIO, Chief Investment Officer on Demand. And so he gives him uh, independent strategic uh, real estate growth and advisory. And he works a lot with US based family offices, as well as because he speaks Turkish and German uh, and English. And uh, he has a lot of connections in London and across Europe. And so we just had a, a great call with him and he was in his hotel room in London. So a uh, really great guy, super entrepreneurial and uh, extremely smart. What do you think your, a lot of your family offices clients uh, would think of somebody like him? Uh, Lisa, I know you work with a lot with family offices.
1: I think there is an, a tremendous amount of value that he could add. I think it really depends on the family office. A lot of family offices worry about control and secrecy. So I think he would fit in well because he's already kind of proven that he can, he can thrive in that kind of environment.
0: Right. He's used to
1: it. He's used to it. So I feel like he, um, I I definitely see there's a tremendous amount of value in the service that he provides, especially now when companies are looking at, they're going to probably have to vet a hundred deals before they even have one to sink their teeth into. And if they don't want to pay for a full-time CIO, somebody like John can really add a tremendous amount of value.
0: Yeah. Folks that come from more institutional shops, um, and then go to family offices are often shocked, right? So by, by the culture and how they do things. So having somebody that's really used to that, uh, the way family offices operate, um, is extremely important. Uh, that's why we have been so successful because we, we've worked with so many of them. So we don't, we don't have to just, you know, limit ourselves to institutional clients, uh, which is pretty fun. Um, anyhow, please enjoy the podcast. Tell your friends about it, rate and review the podcast. And like always, if you have any suggestions for podcast guests, please shoot us an email. And with that, enjoy your weekend. All right, John, Tufts on the glue. How you doing today, man? How's London?
2: Uh, I'm good. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, London is great. Uh, weather is really nice. I've been here all week, uh, for a bunch of meetings. It's been actually very productive. Uh, super nice to join you guys. And hi, Sounds Lisa. Sounds like you brought
1: some nice weather.
2: Hi,
0: Yeah. I... Lisa just came in from from Toronto, but she's in New York right now from ULI. Um, yes. how was great. Toronto? How, how was, how was the, uh, how was the ULI conference?
1: You know what? The conference was great. I was worried that it was going to be very doom and gloom. Um, I think that people were, there's definitely a lot of thoughts on kind of things taking longer to happen and maybe some pause, you know, kind of being the word of the day. But I will tell you that people were optimistic. And despite the fact that most of the sessions also incorporated a small piece on burnout, um, the, the mood was, was positive.
0: Awesome. And John, what are you seeing out there, man? What, what's, what's the mood in London? So, I mean, I guess, yeah, what's the mood in London today with the, with the real estate in general?
2: Uh, it's, I mean, it's interesting. It's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a different market, right? So right now, so we have an inflation in New York, right? So in in, in the U S we have an inflation, about 5%, the interest rates are there too. Uh, and depending on what kind of deal you're entering into, uh you're 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 negatively leveraged it seems like the inflation in in the UK right now is about 10% the interest rates are uh lower than that but obviously borrowing costs are really uh shooting up um but then again the yields are still low uh you're talking about very low Yield, obviously, London is a very different uh, and very tight market for any type of uh, commercial real estate. So it seems like the cap rate expansion has not happened here. I don't think it'll happen to a degree that we see in the U.S. Um, it's still trying to go, but it seems like the impact of Brexit is pretty uh, palpable here uh, for if anywhere from the actual economy itself to, you know, finding quality workers from Europe that can travel here easily uh. It's a kind of a uh, its own animal. I wonder
1: if you're seeing one of the things that people were, were that I heard kind of a lot about was that there's a lot of office space in London that will just never be up to the appropriate ESG standards. And they feel like I mean, it was a big number of people were throwing out like 70 percent, 80 percent. Of office, the keys may ultimately just get handed back. Are you? What's it? What's it like on the ground there in the offices? Are you seeing that?
2: Yeah, yeah, it mean, yeah, could be. I mean, obviously, it's just like you know, finding new office buildings inside the city, it's uh, kind of hard to come by, and the, all the new and glossy um, uh, glass towers are in a in a place called Canary Wharf, which is. Um, Kind of like the La Défense maybe uh, uh, neighborhood in in Paris. It's created for that reason. All the other stuff is kind of refurbished, nice A class offices. I went to uh, pretty good meetings here with friends who anywhere from like people who started their uh, private equity fund to really established uh, private equity fund managers with sixty billion dollar AUM everybody is uh kind of like working in cool office buildings that are four or five story and depending on where where it is like it's either brand new inside Mm -hmm. really nice refurbished to like loft type of spaces but interesting enough lisa the office rents are incredibly high in london so what in new york the brand new stuff on park avenue or i guess one vanderbilt maybe Mm -hmm. getting $200 per square foot, like, you know, don't quote me on this. I'm not, uh, (laughs) but but I think that's the absolute highest end of the market. 150 bucks to $200 per square foot seems to be pretty normal number here for an A-class office building uh, inside of London. I think in Europe in general, you know, people uh, at least started to know their office needs uh, because uh, I don't think europeans are as burnt out as americans and uh but america just didn't go back to the office because i think we're just too burnt out so we don't know what our office space needs are so europe i think knows it a little bit better with the you know unassigned seats and assigned seats and all that stuff so i think they know it a little bit better london is just very different from everybody else because of this brexit situation that's throwing it off yeah for sure
0: so you're you're you you founded a firm called Caldara. Caldera, uh, real estate ventures, um, yeah. which you're CIO on demand. Uh, so basically <laughs> your, you know, the, the, your theory was there's a bunch of family offices out there or correct me if I'm wrong, that, um, don't have much exposure to real estate and you know, you don't, don't necessarily need a full team to do that, but you could come in and, and help them gain exposure to real estate through, you know, your, your, your many years of knowledge. In, in real estate. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I do call it a CIO on demand. I think it's a catchy word, a similar concept, uh, Chris exists in the, um, established registered investment advisor kind of non real estate family office world, uh, called the OCIO, which stands for outsourced CIO. Uh, and, and I think that's a concept that's been very successfully uh, uh, successfully um, executed in that world for for over thirty years, and the uh, pitch was the exact same thing. They went to pension plans or or even endowment plans, uh, benefit plans back in the day, and said, "Like for you to hire a full on investment team, and I'm talking about public equities and fixed income type of investments, not real estate at all. It's very expensive, very lengthy process to get a, a CIO and a team." We've done that already for you. Why don't you just outsource uh, uh-huh. outsource it to us? Because if you don't have that team, you're lacking the systematic approach. You're lacking the pace to react to market movements, which are obviously much more rapid in the um, 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 public equities world compared to real estate. But, but real estate has the exact same problem. Having worked at family offices and knowing that world and knowing the interne- international uh, investor world. Uh, still, a lot of people want to invest in the United States with, with the United States with the dollar-denominated uh, income uh, flow, and people have different considerations uh, in the world to get their money out and invest in the United States. It's very complex. The the the, the market is very complex to navigate, uh, and you do need a trusted advisor. It's just the CIO advice is just really not out there. Uh, there's a lot of third-party advisory out there, um, but it's not the it's not the maestro. It's not the investment advice. And people usually kind of ask their lawyers as the only other trusted advisor for investment advice, okay. and and they can't give that. Otherwise, you know, you can you can give your money as an ultra-high net worth individual to a wealth management firm, and they they do a very good job. But they're also not really equipped to give you direct access um, to. Real estate strategy, so I think there's a huge, um, huge demand there, not enough supply. Yeah,
0: there's. Um, I mean, I know in like the banking world, the more institutional world, like w- one of our practices is interim executives at, at Jackson Lucas. So we'll come in, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll hire uh, like a interim COO. That person will come in and set up all the systems and hire a team, and then exit in you know a year or two or whatever. Um, is this something that? is new to the, the family office world or is there, is there you know, and, and if so, like how did you have to educate them or are you educating them on this? Uh,
2: it's interesting because I think it's a simple enough of an idea that um, everybody um, understands. Um, in all honesty, some people maybe be convu- confuse it with like, okay, is this brokerage? Are we putting together deals and, um, You know, raising money for it? Absolutely not. It's actually the antithesis of it because uh, my company strives to give people uh, conflict-free independent advice. And if that independent advice were to be tied to only a success fee or a commission, uh, that wouldn't be really independent because you're just trying to close deals. What I do is certainly not a volume business. What I do is actually a very uh, custom-tailored business. I think the advisory world is inherently uh you know full of people who come from an advisory intermediary background but but i don't i come from an investment background of 14 years and i've done a, over two billion dollars in um, transactions financings, and development so i'm really giving people advice like i'm investing uh, with those people but they have the entire control um, and our advice could be i was saying as comprehensive as cr- whole strategy creation, portfolio strategy creation, or as simple as we're looking at a deal and we need we need a second set of eyes to do due diligence, to do institutional quality financial analysis and structure it in a way that works. The international aspect of this obviously really brings forward the uh, importance of tax planning to this, which I'm absolutely not an expert in and nobody is. Um uh except the big firms, and I actually entered into a um um official agreement with a with a big uh big four company for them to advise me on tax uh matters because everyone's situation is different so the goal here Chris and lisa we you know we just create a um create a boutique global advisory firm when you come to us and you want to invest in U.S. and no matter where you are uh, in the spectrum, whether you're established or you don't even know where to start, you know we should be able to help you with all aspects of that investment strategy.
1: That's incredible, John. So tell us, I mean, Chris and I know you, but share with everybody, how did you build up the expertise to do something like this? And then how did you start the business?
2: Oh, absolutely. And I'll I'll tell it in a, uh, a, you know, friendly, funny way that, you know, you guys probably heard the story from me. I'm originally from Istanbul, Turkey. That's why my name is spelled with a C, but it's pronounced like John. Uh, I lived in London before I moved to New York. Uh, In 2008, I went to uh, grad school uh, at the Columbia University and I started the uh, program a month into it. Uh, in 2008, a company I've never heard of, Lehman Brothers, uh, <laughs> declared bankruptcy, and uh, and and I'm like, why is this so important? This seems like very significant, uh, and uh, and obviously the tone has changed. Uh, but I, you know, just uh, interesting. I I would say I have a very um, vertically integrated skill set when it comes to real estate. Actually, I do come from an architectural background, and that's what I did in London, also. Uh, but I changed uh, immediately to um, acquisitions and investment uh, after graduating from 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 Columbia, uh, and it was a hard time to do that. But you know, I was able to make that transition. I actually worked at a, uh, a family office um, uh, for some time. Then I went to uh, brand name companies. You know, as a as a young person who was kind of uh, part of a core team of three four people. But the market was uh, the market was really uh, improving over time. So I ended up, I think, uh, being a part of really incredible deals and a lot of them. Uh, And and as the time passed, you know, 2014, 15, I start getting uh, recruited to companies to kind of, you know, they were different levels of established, I would say. But I always ended up in situations where I had to come into a uh, strategy creation and team building role as the senior person. Um, and I was able to, I think, you know, really prove that and gain experience in, uh, creating those teams. I work for like, you know, brand name companies like Rose Associates, um, uh, between 2018 and 21. Um, and, and, and lastly, before this, I, um, I was responsible for real estate investments for, um, uh, for a private family office. So, All my experience has been in the United States. Uh, Interesting enough, for being from Turkey, I have not worked a single day Mm -hmm. (laughs) in Turkey. Um, So I really know how uh, U.S. commercial real estate works. And I've always worked on the um, kind of investor, kind of general partner, sponsor side of the business, doing very complex deals, but also covering the institutional uh, uh big money too so you know i was able to gain incredible experience in these 14 years um as i mentioned before it's to tune of two billion dollars which i would have never imagined um but i think you know as i uh, and that's the funniest uh, story also like as i got really senior and i think if all the people who are in that uh situation right now listening to this podcast will, will relate to this is that you know most of these real estate teams, no matter how big they are, like you could be managing two, three billion dollars with like four or five people. And there's usually only one very senior person. And not every company is willing to get that person. And that person is very expensive to hire. Uh, so there, there is a, cheap, there's a right? problem there, cheap. I think. Yeah, <laughs> not really, not really, not really. And for the team around uh, me or somebody like me, and there are so many incredible versions of me uh, uh, in the world, obviously, and especially in New York, uh, that's a very expansive proposition. And and if that company is willing to bite the bullet and do that, and it could be succession planning, all that stuff, um, you know, things things are gonna take like two years to go and you need to negotiate all these contracts. what I'm saying is that let's revolutionize that and I can do what I do for multiple investors and multifamily offices because I'm going about this a company way, not a uh, individual consulting way. You know we have a professional advisory board, uh, we have people and I actually uh, interviewing people to grow the team right now. So you know we can be there as long as you want us to be there. Um, And and I don't think this kind of service exists there and I I really do think that I'm going to be able to attract uh, a lot of talent on the CIO level because my company is going to have several CIOs that we can actually um, um, give them their own book and they're going to create their own strategies for their own clients so we never run into conflict of interest issues as we grow. Um, and so, you know, we're not going to sit in one meeting and try to divvy up deals or strategies to people. Everybody is going to have their own CIO, which could be interesting for your interim CIO or COO uh, uh, initiative, because we could be just helpful to people while they're ramping up their um, operations. Because I don't think everybody is OK with outsourcing such an important decision, which is the investment decision. And people may want to have their own teams over time but in order to get there, you're going to spend two years. Maybe I'm saying you can hire us now and you can terminate if you don't like it in three months. I think that's kind of the revolutionary part of it.
0: Lisa and I work with a ton of family offices, um, generally ones that have established, you know, real estate and then they practice and they ask us to kind of, to help build that out as well. Um, but are you, are you finding, are you finding most of your clients? In Europe or or is it also America?
2: Oh, absolutely! It's a mix with a uh, with a with a heavy international focus um, in the first months because this goes obviously very well for um, for non U.S. based investors that don't know how to navigate the complexities. But this also goes very well for U.S. based. And I, I'm I'm calling it a family office, but that could be anything. I think that's a very loosely used term right now, and it's the and it's the term of the day because people are having very difficult time raising money from big institutions, which seem to be very a kind of a frozen right now. And the family office, well, is just that alternative capital. It could be it could be. Uh, it could be everybody, and uh, and I think we do want to see the the Papa Family Office and the Flickr Family Office as our clients one day also, you know. <laughs> uh, but you know uh, that's why it's a very fragmented world. So let's call it that Family Office world. That goes my what I do goes very well for the international ones, but we have uh, local clients uh, also, which is which is great. And and if somebody does have a CIO and even one person on the team supporting them, we could just simply become an extension of them, giving them that, you know, the organization uh, infrastructure of a big organization without them having to hire, interview people, uh, even in the kind of a VP director level. Um, and you guys probably can tell me much better what that costs right now in a place like New York with all the other expenses uh, our, it's not free. our proposition. <laughs> yeah, I know. So even, so I think this, you know, this may have a, you know, in my, you know, in a pipe dream world, like this may have the opportunity to disrupt the CIO job to a degree, but I think it may also disrupt, disrupt the, uh, mid-level, uh, jobs too, because, you know, you can simply get a team with me for the price of one person probably. So, so do you I think have- it's very scalable.
1: John, do you have folks that work with you who would do underwriting? Is that is that a piece? You know, obviously at the at the senior level, helping to make decisions. But what about the the actual Argus modeling or what have you? Is that something that your firm can handle?
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and that's kind of like that. You know, the the super complex, uh, let's call it the grant work aspect. Uh, you know, we do really well. I actually uh, personally also still spent a lot of time on that kind of stuff i'm like believe me or not i think for a senior investment person i'm at, able to create models from scratch uh just opening like a open like a, a, a blank excel sheet and just really fill it up actually that was one of our uh interesting assignments in the last uh, few months a good good friend of mine that uh, i worked with before Um, um, is the CIO of a company, but he didn't have an extensive team and they were looking at an office building um, in the Midwest. And the task was, you know, create a model uh, that mimics the Argus functionality so they can be free from like having to use Argus and go through that. It was obviously that doesn't work for like a 50 tenant building, but this was a kind of five, um, um, six tenant building, you know. I personally myself able to create something like that, and I teach people how to create stuff like that. So we can absolutely help with that.
0: What's the family office environment like right now? I mean, are they with the interest rates going up and pricing's not declining so much? Are they trying to take advantage of it because of they don't necessarily need any, you know, to leverage? They can just kind of use maybe cash.
2: That's one aspect of it, and you know, like family office world is is vast, and you can you'll see that if you look at this. And again, it's a very fragmented world. There's a lot of um, um, information out there, and there's also a lot of misinformation. Uh, You know, people claiming that they have access to these family office lists or contact informations, and they'll give it away to you. Uh, the, The family office world doesn't work like that. It's such a private world. That nobody uh, is able to, um, I would say, crack down in a um, on in a in a very systematic way. That's the beauty of it. Uh, it's very flexible money. It's alternative capital. It's flexible money. It you, people made all fortunes from different things, not just real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in the last world that in the last few years, I think that's becoming a trend. There are a lot of uh, wealthy people. Who are so wealthy that it it's not enough for them to just put it into a private bank and let them manage it? They want to get more direct access to uh, um, alternative investment strategies. Let's call it real assets. And real estate is a big uh, um, aspect of real assets. You know, obviously it could be infrastructure. It could be, um, um, you know, buying ESG-related timber related sustainable. Yeah, it's stuff like that. But real estate obviously is in that bucket for for that world, um, and and people do want that direct access. Um, and um, you know, and I'm not just necessarily talking about hey, let's go go buy a building or a portfolio and not levered, lever it so we don't have to deal with financing. It's uh, it could be many different things it could be you know commercial private debt which i see a lot of opportunities in and i shared that with you i i wrote a white paper on it oh, yeah, um, yeah. there's very interesting timing right now um uh, with this you know that you can call the gap financing i see it firsthand from friends who whose a class buildings are becoming um, you know quasi distressed overnight because they're coming up for refinancing and you're dealing with lower proceeds and higher borrowing costs you know, where does there's a there's a gap in the capital stack. And by the way, that's also happening in the non real estate related world because the lending uh, lending sources are uh, pulling away um, in the kind of a leverage buyout um, company, corporate finance type of world also. So the family office world that is not necessarily real estate focused would really well understand the private debt. Strategy and those are pretty liquid right now uh, the the the, the um, I think the biggest problem about real estate for people who are not real estate focused is the illiquidity aspect of it uh, but that private debt strategy is uh, pretty liquid so there are a lot of interesting strategies family office world is just flexible in every sense and it's private it doesn't need to uh, respond or to SEC or anybody like that awesome it's a good
1: place to reach yeah yeah
0: are you um and you say you're finding is it like a particularly like why did you choose to do this now you just kind of felt Um, like i
2: think it's a it's a really good time to uh to do this because right now the transactional volume is really down and i think people really do value a um um you know Insightful investment uh, strategies right now, if you're doing that under one uh, umbrella, which people are obviously very successfully are doing, working for family offices as an employee, and they do that really, really well. And uh, um, the family office, if they have the vision to create that team and fund those operations, uh, those those you know organizations are doing super well right now. But there's a lot of new ones that want to come into real estate. And I think it's very good time to grow a business like this because I think in a good market, you know, everybody um, invests into something. Even just, even just for the sheer uh, joy of investing in the U.S. and trying to learn how to invest in the U.S., you would be shocked how many people already make investment decisions just to learn what's out there. Uh, Not everybody is incredibly um, analytical, um, you know, like us in America. Um, But I think this is a very opportune time uh, to do this. And obviously, it needs to be a mix of um, opportunistic investment strategy. Uh, It needs to be very research driven, which I think I take pride in. You know, I'm a very um, intellectually curious person myself. So all strategies I advise on are very research driven. Um, and, but it needs to, we we also added a little bit asset management capability to what we're doing because in these kind of dislocation markets, I think, uh, most people see, uh, opportunity, but a lot of people also see a lot of risks. So, you know, our, our services also include kind of asset management strategies too, for people who just don't, are not ready to, uh, pull the trigger for stuff.
0: Awesome, man. It's such a great idea. I remember you remember when you were first yeah, you were first I, talking I about it. It and, um and you've worked with some tough family offices so you kind of you've know <laughs> you've know the uh the ins and outs of the family office world um, and how and how yeah, they think
2: it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's great and uh, you know like some some are more more established and some are uh not but everybody's incredibly smart because if you're talking about a wealthy family office, you're already talking about uh, wealthy people, whether that's the founding generation or the taking over generation, uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, that's a very different world. People think very differently. Uh, so I was very lucky to, you know, kind of be surrounded with that kind of experience. Well, you know, like always people always come to us. Oh, you're a family office, so you don't care about yields. And you could just buy everything on lever. And I'm like, just super wealthy people never buy anything without financing. Why would they? Right. <laughs> so because they have access to financing at all times. So I, I think I do have a like pretty interesting um, angle to this. And my international background, um, um, you know, helps me with that, too. There is a lot of opportunity. I think this is very scalable. Um, and I really my my. My business really doesn't take away from anybody, so I can work with lawyers, I can work with brokers, I can work with wealth managers, uh, I can work with other third-party consultants. You know, I'm just not uh, eating into anyone's fees because I'm actually the one who's like, kind of coordinating everything, right? That's what a CIO does. Um, it's a simple idea. I, I, I'm kind of surprised that not a lot of people are doing. Are you
0: that. also? Um... I mean, if I were you, I would want to be like, hey, I want to be investing in these deals, too. Or I want a piece of these deals. Is that part of?
2: Oh, absolutely. And uh, the good thing about real estate is that uh, these structures are very, um, very flexible. You know, people are like, for example, like some people just want to keep it as um, arm's length advisory and they'll, you know, they'll pay you. And, you know, when you're done, you're done. Um, But, you know, there are a lot of Uh, assignments that you know we're negotiating right now it's a combination um, of a retainer and and and, you know like a performance related um, um, compensation later but you know we also talk about and you know try to um, create platforms and fund those platforms and the OCIO uh, or or at least the company could take a position there that also is part of that separate managed account uh, that means, you know, carry in that separate managed account, not really a fund. Um, so the compensation could be really flexible. But um, I think me also having to reserve the right to co-invest in one of these deals, I think that is really 100 percent alignment with the client, right. because that's kind of what I really strive to do. 100 uh, percent alignment. That's why I, you know, we try to keep it low cost. Obviously needs, you know, the, the, the time and the brain cells uh, spent on the assignment uh, needs to be uh, paid upfront. But I still try to keep that low cost and really put the uh, compensation, tie the compensation, to the success of the client. So I'm not in the I'm not in front of anything and I'm not trying to push anything. If the client has the full control, we're in a you know, third party advisory right. um, role. It's not investment management. I'm not collecting anybody's money and investing into it because obviously I'm not, you know, structured that way. You, you would have to do a registered investment advisory company for that. And that's in my midterm agenda. <laughs> you
1: know, one, awesome. of the, one of the things that's interesting is the a lot of family offices right now are going through succession planning. We sit with them. We talk about kind of what that looks like. I feel like there's definitely a spot for someone like you as the next generation is coming up to kind of help bridge the gap between the two generations.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and, and that's why you know this is such a important conversation we're having right now because as as you remember, um, I spent like my first one or two months actually really calling all my um, colleagues and um, uh, mentors in the industry, but you were also uh, one of the first calls that i make uh, and i said like you know this must be like what are you seeing in the family office world is this a interesting idea and you guys like showed so much appreciation uh for it and really helped me uh, uh helped me with guidance um absolutely absolutely and so the, the good thing about this idea it could be anything that the client wants indeed it's flexible so we're not you know we're not one agreement that i'm sending to everybody uh, people want exclusive service, right? So that's, that's what I try to offer to people. It's not a, you know, we don't have a template agreement or proposal or a service that, you know, would would work. That That's a volume business. I'm not shooting for a volume business. I'm shooting for exclusive service.
0: Yeah, family offices, we always find how the, when they come to us, they're usually, there's a lot of things going on. One, it's organizationally, they're just not set up to handle like becoming no. more institutional right um and then two they hate to hear this but compensation they their compensation for like you know oftentimes it's like they hired right. a cousin 20 years ago who's you know just happy to be have a <laughs> job type of thing but then when they come and they're like wow we really want to like make this an actual business where we're you know really uh, you know we're not bleeding money you know type of thing they have to Hold we have it. to advise them on on that too so um, have somebody like almost like a stopgap to kind of get them headed in the right direction. They call you and and, and start heading in the right direction. It seems like a, a pretty, maybe we could all team up here and, and, and help, help them in every area.
2: Oh, a hundred percent. And by the way, like I have these strategic partnerships, you know, with, uh, with people from, uh, different sides of the industry. And I think our partnership could be very, uh, very valuable. Obviously being on the recipient end of those conversations, the compensation conversation, you know, that's a that's a tough conversation. And I think as an employee, you really don't, and I also didn't, don't understand where the other side is coming from. Like, you know what, what you want and you know what you need, and then you you've got to get that, right? Like that's what you expect from a job and you add value in exchange for it. But a family office that has not been active in the last few years or just getting into new strategies. They know real estate very well, maybe. They're super smart people, but they just you know, are not able to communicate with the institutions. They don't have the infrastructure for that uh, financial analysis, the investment memos and all that stuff. But if you're hiring somebody f- and, and a team like for a million dollars for two oh. years and you still don't pull the trigger to make a decision, uh, or the market like moves away from you, and maybe some people are more risk-averse than they thought uh, they are, uh, that's a big proposition. And I think in terms of running a business, that probably loses its value pretty quickly. So the employer part of this is very important, too. And I think at some point, I just kind of started understanding that, okay, if you're not generating enough deal flow or enough deals to compensate for the team, unfortunately, the team has to go. But the impact is big for a family office because you know it, it took you five years to go through a succession planning, and you decide to hire two people, and you're not able to support them. Then you know you kind of like have to get rid of your entire team, otherwise you're carrying a big expense. At some point, I think I kind of like you know understand understood that boss angle of things, right? And uh, that's why my value proposition is totally solving this problem. I'm saying that, you know, you can still get somebody like that. But, you know, it's not as your full time employee. You don't need to give us health insurance. You don't need to uh, sign a one year contract, two year contract, do this and do that. And we can start tomorrow.
1: And I bet you'll find what we find, which is all of our clients try to hire us. So eventually they'll be knocking on your door and trying to you'll have to Put up the wall and that's
2: always a hard thing to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, that's why I kind of really want to get more guidance and continue our dialogue because you're obviously very close to a lot of people like this. And again, not everybody. This is not for everybody, the outsource stuff. Uh, But, you know, um, maybe it's an interim CIO for some people or it's just, you know, um, learning how to create. An organization, which I think I'm, you know, I have a good ability and vision too, like how to create an organization. Because some people are uh, very good investment people, and there are a lot of them. Uh, but some people are also very good at like running companies. I think I'm, uh, uh, I'm personally a good combination of that, and if I can grow this to a degree that I want. Uh, I can really hire a lot of CIOs myself, and that could be a geographic focus, that could be an asset class focus, that could be a continent focus because I'm I want to do this globally. Um, um, but running the, so so they don't have to deal with running the company stuff. I'm okay with that. I'm good. with that.
1: Do You speak any of the languages aside from English?
2: Well, it's Turkish. Uh, yeah, so I, uh, English is the uh, yeah English is the third language. I learn how to speak. I speak native Turkish, obviously, and I I speak German.
1: Nice.
2: Yeah. Well. Yeah. I would love to. Sp- I would love to learn how to speak French. Well,
0: before that, you're gonna have to go through the hot seat. Oh! Hot Seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services, which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities reduce turnover, and preserve their brand. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so, please check them out at kkreset.com. K K R E S E T.com. Are you ready?
2: Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> yes. You weren't expecting that. Were <laughs>
0: no. Well, no, okay. It's always unexpected.
2: Is this live? No. The hot life. seat's always unexpected. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Are
0: you ready? Question number one is okay. Do you have a book or okay. podcast recommendation?
2: I do have a book recommendation. I'm not a huge podcast person. Uh, and my book recommendation has nothing to do with That's real okay. estate. I'm really into kind of like world matters, anthropology and that type of stuff. And uh, my favorite author is uh, uh, Yuval Harari, mm-hmm. uh, who wrote the uh, Sapiens book and Homo Deus. Yep. And he's new. So like if nobody has read those. Uh, read those two books and there's a new one that's called uh twenty one lessons for uh twenty first century. It's just um a lot of good, it's good. information. Yeah I there. love him. I I, I, yeah, I really, I really love him.
0: Sapiens is one of my favorite yeah, books of a, all time.
2: Totally. And it's just like everything that I thought to myself and never kind of like knew how to put in words is just such so well written. So I would I would recommend any book that he writes.
0: Alright well I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna order it. Go to the library. Maybe I'm uh, starting to go to the library more because I live around the corner from it. So maybe I'll get it from a library.
1: The library is great. We just got a new library in our town, and it's so
2: beautiful. I just uh, don't tell anybody, but it's free. I know. I know. Best kept secret. (laughs) 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 That's amazing. And I guess for podcasts, I'm not an expert in it, but the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast is incredible.
0: Finally, we had
2: to wait. (laughs) I appreciate it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. yeah, Okay.
1: So tell us about your most memorable deal that you've done. I mean, it could be something with your company or in the past.
2: Um, Most memorable deal I've done, I'm not going to, you know, just uh, give any names, but that was a big uh, lesson learned for me uh, was, um, I think this was in 2014, 15. I'm like two months into my new job. It's my first real senior acquisition job, uh, and I get this like really good deal. Big brokerage company brokering a big seller, by the way, that you all know about, um, and and you know people uh, know know them their side on the um, uh, on the investment team. So we quickly do a handshake deal. You know, we know the brokers really well too. So this is going really well. I'm like two months there, this is incredible. Like I'm starting super strong. Oh my God, what a deal person I am. (laughs) We did not sign an exclusivity agreement. We negotiated the whole thing because there was like friends in between. We never thought this would happen Mm -hmm. to us. And that's my advice to everybody. Get. I would walk away from the best deal if I don't get an exclusivity period to negotiate the actual contract fully negotiated contract we're about to sign it the day off we realized that there was another uh buyer that had a fully negotiated contract also and uh and i think we were in a company retreat or something like that this whole deal absolutely fell apart by the way we couldn't even we even wired the money we couldn't get it back and uh and uh and uh the deal fell apart uh it's fine uh, and then I ended up doing a very interesting deal a year later, but I thought like I was just starting really strong that it didn't work at all. Uh, great lesson learned for me, incredibly tough, psychological moments.
0: <laughs> oh, so, I, I mean, that's kind of, that's yeah. happened in recruiting for me too. That's why we, we work the same way we need to be yeah. exclusive and we have to work on retainers. So it's, uh, yeah, even the best friendships, mm-hmm. it does, it doesn't matter sometimes.
2: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I, I would only
1: do deals with somebody I would do a deal with on a handshake, but I always wanted in writing.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that's very smart. And, it, uh, and like the writing part of it is very uh, complex and uh, that could be broken too. You know, don't get me wrong. I think it does come down to uh, intent uh, at the end. But uh, again, I, I learned that I, I just walk away from any deal. What if I don't get an exclusivity?
0: Now, what do you look for? I mean, we usually ask, what do you look for in hiring people? What do you look for in a family office to partner with? Uh,
2: I mean, I don't look for um, for an exact, you know, again, because it's such a fragmented world. And, you know, it's not like, hey, it's just one type of private equity firm or an institutional firm. Again, it could be one person. It could be a family it could be um um and there's obviously like multifamily offices too, just like you know, mm-hmm. very wealthy families pooling their money together. And actually you do see that a lot, um, especially from uh German investors in Europe. They they do these like club mm-hmm. deals and they will get into one deal um and and invest together. Um so you know, I don't necessarily look for uh, a specific top top type of client. Um, obviously, the company is you know young and growing right now. I find that you know my personal network, or just the one degree of separation network, basically people who can vouch for me, who've done deals with me, who know me for a while. Uh, that network does kind of have a very sophisticated um, investor uh, profile in general. And some people are more established, some people are not, but everybody understands. The value of investing into U.S. real estate. Obviously, the uh, one thing that I need to look for is that they need to have an appetite to invest in commercial real estate in the United States. That's that's what I'm pitching. Uh, I, I I am you know I am I want to do this globally, but now I'm basically focusing on U.S. commercial real estate strategy. So that's what I look for. For people that I want to hire, I also want to, you know, create a different company uh, for myself. I think, you know, um, even my interviewing methods are probably not conventional, uh, but I think they're uh, they're working. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I, and I'm obviously learning on the go. Okay. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I recently went into, uh, um, interviewing some people and, you know, I've been, I've been always on, on the recipient side. And if you're going for like a very, um, um, analytical position, uh, you obviously everybody looks for this, like investment banking background, whatever, two years, and, uh, just like super great financial modeling, uh, you know, real estate modeling could be different from an, uh, investment banking uh, model is very different and I think my 14 15 years of experience like really helps me to you know create a model from scratch so what I was interviewing uh, somebody I actually didn't send them a, a Excel test because Excel test on the go is just not you know' is not something that I ever liked uh, as the analyst back in the day mm-hmm. um, so what I did was you know you send me a model, of that you did, and uh, let's just walk through yeah, it yeah. on Zoom uh, to see you know what, and then after that, obviously in the first interview, I can tell that you know they're willing, they're they know what they built, and I can easily um, uh, verify their capability. So for me, that person doesn't need to know everything about a real estate model that I know, and why should they? Because I've been doing it for a while. But if the background is there and they're willing to learn you know, uh, we can learn from each other and I can teach them what, what I want. But in the second round interview, I sent them a model that I did and tell them to go over it, make your notes, uh, come back with questions. Let me know what you will do differently. So it's kind of a hmm. uh, interesting, like two, uh, two-way interview. Um, and I think it's very valuable for me too. But through that, I think I'm able to understand a person's financial modeling capability and also uh, cultural fit is very important for me too. like, I, I look for resourceful people. Um, not everybody knows how to do stuff. Uh, but if you can just look at it and learn and, you know, create ways to really solve that problem. And if you can't still work, uh, solve it, or there's a mistake, uh, you know, we talked about it. We talk about it intelligently. Uh, that's, that's, you know, what i look for so i want to create a company like that where it's it's open i love that
1: i love that too mm-hmm. so um do you do any work wh- the, the question we typically ask is how does your job have an impact um do you do any work with esg or anything that you might feel has an family, impact yeah, or, ma- most family
0: offices have no idea what esg stands for is right. that correct john uh,
1: <laughs> i had a
2: uh, it, oh, ESG Absolutely. is that
1: the diversity thing? I'm like, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, that's so that's so true, and uh, and I think people understand the E of ESG a little bit more. But for example, like for a, for for New York, the local law uh, 97 stuff. I'm also on the uh, ULI um, Housing Council. We talk about that stuff. That's a real thing, and that's just like right around the corner. It's not one-time fee it's like an annual fee. It could be millions of dollars. If it comes up as like violation, that probably is, or penalties, that probably needs to be part of every purchase and sale uh, agreement negotiation, maybe even title insurance. I don't know. Uh, That kind of stuff is so important. Nobody. Uh, knows anything uh, about that I'm learning more about the SNG part of it too and it, I will be, make ESG a big part of um, you know what we do obviously me being an um, international person I mean I, 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 I went to New York um, on a student visa back in the day um, and you know like we definitely will have that uh, inclusion I will create a global company like that uh, and there's nobody more respectful than me to uh, what people go through with like visa situation. People talk about illegal immigration in America, in every country. Nobody talks about legal immigration, which I went through. Yeah. Uh, and at this point, I'm a proud uh, American citizen. Uh, it's really tough. So, uh, you know, I understand. I understand that. and I, I will try to give priority uh, to people from that background. I think that's very important to me.
0: Well, thanks, John. You, you, you I love, I love yeah. what you're doing. Uh, I've known you for many years, and uh, just congratulations on all your success. And uh, look forward to keeping in touch and seeing what the future holds.